can you please introduce yourself, tell me what you do in the band, and tell me a fun fact about you. Um, sure. Yeah, um, I'm Adam from The Nightmares. Um, um, a fun fact, um, no surprise, I like to collect records. That's kind of like my hobby, like collecting vinyl. Um, I have two black cats. That's probably uh, something a lot of people don't know. <laughs> and Binks and Salem, they're like our babies. So that's probably my fun fact is my, my cats. <laughs> That's so cute. Um, actually, speaking of records, do you, what is your favorite album in your collection? My favorite album of all time um, would probably be uh, The Cure, um, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. That album is like my favorite record by them. Um, I've got like uh, a, a little bit nerdy, but I've got like a, a second pressing, which is quite hard to get. So um, yeah, that's probably my, my prized possession. I love that. I love how, like, I normally go to flea markets and stuff to get records here since record shops are, there's not one by me. <laughs> so it's mm -hmm. always so difficult to find any vinyl. So I always go to those flea markets and try to see what I can find. And sometimes you find some hidden gems that you never thought you would have. Yeah, found. yeah. Like, I always try to look in, um, like, a similar sort of thing. I always try to look in, like, charity shops here, which is just, like, secondhand stuff. Um, and, yeah, you find some stuff for, like, 50p or a pound that would you know be like 40 pound if you found it somewhere else so yeah it's always fun looking in most places i always love seeing like what people's favorite records are since i feel like they there's always a either a personal connection or um the fact that like the album people pick is a self-defining thing in a sense like this is it means something to you in a way that no one else can explain or feel yeah totally like the, like they they're my favorite band and they have been since I was probably 15 and for some reason that was one of the first like like I won't lie the first thing I listened to was like a greatest hits you know because I had never heard the band before I was like 15 years old um but then when I got deep into the band that was the first album that I sort of like delved into so that album has just always been the one I connect with the most I think so um just curious, how have you been spending quarantine? Um, it's, good, it's a good question. <laughs> it's been quite a long time here now. We, I, we've been, so like I've been off work fully on lockdown for, I think about two and a half, three months now. So it's been quite a long time. Um, it's been nice to be able to just focus on writing music, which has been keeping me busy. Um, sort of set up like a little home studio. Um, I live with Eleanor, who also plays in the band, who's my wife. Um, so we have set up a little home recording studio, and we've been working um, like remotely, like emailing songs back and forth with the other guys in the band, um, and we're like writing an album. So um, in in one way, it's been a good thing to be able to have extra time to do that. We've we've got like a lot of songs done in this period. Um, but obviously the downside is, you know, not being able to see family and all of those horrible parts of it. But yeah, re recording as much music as possible and just doing pointless housework, like redecorating stuff we don't need to redecorate. <laughs> I love the digital age because these like things like this, sending music to other people wouldn't have been possible 
uh, yeah. 10 years ago. And it, it's great to see, like, you guys are working together in that way. It's still going for yeah. it. Yeah, totally. Like, normally we, we write music in a straightforward way. Like, we do it all together, like, in a room. Like, we, we've we never really written this way before. Um, but I guess it's just needs must. And, like, we wanted to carry on writing the album. And we had lots of ideas. Um so yeah, we've just been emailing them back and forth, which has actually worked out really nice. It's been productive. So, so yeah, we've we've been busy. Do you think the change in the writing process has kind of shifted the direction you're going in for the album, or left it basically the same, just trying different things to, for the same ends and means? Um, I, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe, maybe it would have had an effect. I mean. Like I said, I'm used to, to writing these songs in a room together. Um, so maybe being writing them more on my own might bring some different different elements out. Maybe um, we plan on it as, as soon as we can get back into the like our rehearsal space. We'll go over all of the ideas like in a room as a band, and I'm sure stuff will change again. But yeah, maybe maybe it, it will have changed the song slightly. I don't know like if in direction. But maybe in some of my choices with, with the writing, maybe. So when uh, you guys are um, writing music, you mentioned that like you all bounce off each other in that regard. Um, when you're in the studio, is there anything specific like you do to for your writing or when you're actually recording the songs, like going through the process of either making changes or seeing how things sound? Um, we, all the stuff we've recorded by Thomas um, from Cardiff, um, and he's been really great to bounce ideas off. So we'll take the songs which we, we feel are finished, um, and then, but we're always kind of like open to his ideas. So yeah, maybe we'll sections down or move some parts about. Um, I don't know if there's anything that we do in particular, but yeah, um, Rob, like our producer, um, definitely like a big influence on the songs once we get them to the studio so yeah he's always great to bounce ideas with so my next question is kind of i'm gonna give a little backstory so i personally don't specifically remember listening to the nightmares music for the first time just because it was kind of like when things over here were shifting going into quarantine and everything was becoming cancelled and just yeah. hearing your music kind of shifted the way I was feeling in a sense. Like I was able to relate to the lyricism and the composition aspects in a way which I thought was phenomenal just because it's not like something I've heard here before. Well, thank you very much. So on that note, um, my question for you is can you please describe your sound for me in three words? Three words, okay. Um, I would say, how about in two words? Two words is great. Because <laughs> <laughs> we describe it as uh, noir pop, okay. so like dark pop. Um, that's the kind of easiest way to sum it up, I think. Yeah, noir pop. I like that. It kind of has this like dreamy feel. But it has that, like, brightness from pop music, but at the same time, it's very different aesthetically to listen to. So it's very intriguing. 
Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Um, we we like the fact that like our music draws from like quite a few different like influences. So it's nice to hear that someone listening to it can 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 hear that. You know, um, definitely dreamy. Um, there's like a lot of dream pop influence, but I mean, then there's like rock and like indie influence. There's a lot of like pop sensibility in the melodies and the writing. Like I do like just like pop music as well as like rock music. Um, so yeah, it's like a strange mixture of things, but it's nice to hear that um, that people can relate to it. That's that's awesome. Which musician inspires you to be a better musician? That's a good question. Um, I would say at the moment, something that is sort of like fresh on my brain when you ask that question would be Paul Banks from Interpol. Okay. Um, I've been listening to, he's just brought out a record um, with like a side project band called Muzz. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just, it's beautiful music. It's very like simple, like sophisticated. I just listened to the album like all the way through two days ago. Um, and it just made me want to write songs. Like I just finished listening to it and I just thought, oh my God, like what, what a beautiful album. I love when that happens because sometimes I feel like it, there's inspiration in everything. And it's so cool that like this, this one record was like, wow, this is, th I want to continue writing because I heard yeah. something that was like beautifully done and it's inspired me to do so much more. Yeah, it's, it's it's an incredible record. I highly recommend checking it out. Um, it's just it just feels really effortless, like effortlessly cool is the way I would describe it. Just listen to the whole thing, and it's just got like it's such a big vibe um, for just like three guys. It's just like drums. A lot of it's just drums, keys, and vocals, um, and it just sounds massive. <laughs> Was there a moment where you were like, "This, I know this is like what I want to do? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I've been playing in different bands since I was probably 14, 15. Um, and to be honest, I think I knew, I think I knew right away. I think I knew from my first, not even like a proper band, just with some friends in like someone's garage, just like making noise. Um, and I think I just knew straight away that I always wanted to play music. It's probably different, like, landmark gigs and stuff I've played that would, would, like, kind of spring to mind with, like, amazing moments of playing in front of people. But I knew from just playing in my friend's garage, you know, and being told to turn it down by neighbours and stuff like that, I just knew that I wanted to play in a band. So where I'm from, we don't really have a lot of like local-ish bands. I don't. Okay. I don't know why. Um, you you would think that there would be. I I should probably preface. I'm from Staten Island, New York, which is part of New York uh, City. Yeah. And there's not much here. <laughs> like you always have to travel to like either Brooklyn or Manhattan or even Jersey to get your music okay. fix. So it's always fascinating to me to hear like there are actual garage bands <laughs> that exist yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah when me and my friends started bands we would practice in each other's like garage or we would practice in someone's like back room um just wherever we could make enough noise and then maybe like 
like youth centers, you know, so like, I guess like a community hall kind of thing, I guess is the way you guys would, would refer to it. Um, but yeah, we were practicing like the local youth center, like in the whatever room we were allowed to use, like the changing rooms and it was sound terrible, but we'd be allowed to make noise in there. So yeah, we were lucky in um, Newport, the city um, where I'm speaking to you from now, where I grew up. Um, we, we managed to find places to make noise. So where what is the scene like in Newport? Um, it's great. We we've got um like lots of young bands coming through um constantly. It feels like every few years there's a new sort of wave of bands coming through from Newport and Cardiff. Um, we've got a venue called La Pub, um, in Newport, which is amazing for putting on young bands as like support bands or like the opening band. Um, and also letting young bands run their own shows. So like charging as little as possible um, to put on a gig. So like young bands can put on a, a gig for like a low amount of money and get their friends to come and like not lose any money so they can keep doing it. Um, it's just a really good supportive scene. It's just like a, a great sort of like punk venue in, in Newport. Um, so we're really lucky to have that place. That's so amazing. Um... Where I'm from, again, um, my school is located on Staten Island, and Wagner College is where the movie School of Rock was filmed. Yeah, I heard this, yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's great. I watched that film um, on a plane about four months ago, and it's still brilliant. <laughs> I love that it's inspired so many people, and... It's so fascinating to me to be like, wow, this is where I have class, and people forget yeah. that this is a thing, and then we don't have a music scene. So it's very yeah. interesting. <laughs> that is weird. You would imagine there being lots of bands from here, I guess, because of the movie, but yeah. Like, we even have the like School of Rock Music School, where they like teach you how to play an instrument in what was Dewey's apartment in the film. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but like... We, we don't really do that here. I don't know. It's very bizarre to me. <laughs> yeah, that is strange. I would have thought there would be loads of bands, especially like New York, like is somewhere that people just relate to bands. Like I just think of New York as being like a music hub. There's so many bands that I love from New York. I sometimes feel like New York's like the stopover town because there's so many big names that come to New York. But currently, I feel like there's not a lot of, like, artists that are, like, budding from New York. Yeah. That's interesting. It's a strange dynamic. <laughs> I'm probably thinking of, like, a certain era, like, maybe, like, early 2000s yeah. or, like, late 70s. And I guess you have those little bubbles of, like, I don't know, like, Ramones, Talking Heads, Blondie, like, all coming out at the same time, like, late 70s, early 80s. And then, like, early 2000s, you would have had the strokes like yeah yes yeah, like all come in interval all coming from the same scene so i guess that just sticks in your brain as being like new york has loads of bands but it's probably just certain times i i'm still trying to figure out the dynamic it's it's very <laughs> yeah. interesting especially when i speak to people from new york everyone's like yeah there's no scene here i don't know what the scene is everyone just kind of does what they do that's crazy so i'm gonna segue into um my next question, which is a cute little icebreaker. Okay. <laughs> it was asked at our freshman orientation. We always like to ask this since the answers are 
always a blast for me. You can okay. Be, if you could be any item in the kitchen, what would you be and why? Gosh. Um, I think I would be a frying pan if I could be any item in the kitchen. And just because I've been eating loads of grilled cheese sandwiches over lockdown. So that is just the first thing that pops into my head. And I don't know the deep meaning behind being a frying pan. <laughs> That's going to be my choice. So we were asked this to introduce ourselves to everybody. Like, you don't know anybody in your group, and you were asked this question. It's your first impression. Yeah. So I told people I would be a knife because I have a sharp lip. That's a good answer. That's a really good, that's much better than my frying pan answer. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I say it, I still think it gets worse. <laughs> no, it's good. That's good. That's smart. So what is the weirdest or funniest question you've ever been asked in an interview before? Uh, it would probably be the question of which um, kitchen item would you be? <laughs> <laughs> we do have a question that follows this one. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> our PR director Grace came up with this question and what is your opinion of releasing an artist's unreleased music after they've passed away should it be released or should it not that's a really good question um, I think that is massively dependent on who is in charge of that music um, which a lot of the time it'll be left to like a family member or something like that. Like if, if it's a big famous artist and they've decided who would sort of like carry on the ownership of their music. Um, first person who springs to mind is someone like Prince who like his family would have sort of like decided not to release that big vault of music that he's supposed to have. Um, so I think in that case, that's great. And if they don't want to release it, then it shouldn't come out. Um, to go along with that, someone like like Michael Jackson where the, that album was released afterwards. I think it was Timberland who did it and they reworked the songs. I think that's sort of like in, in poor taste because that person isn't around anymore to decide if they like that version of the song. Um, but then at the same time, if it's like a punk band and like people want to hear like everything that they didn't put out, Sometimes you can discover some really great B-sides or some songs that never made it. It's quite a lot of variables in those decisions. Personally, if it was my music, I think I wouldn't want it to come out because I think the artist would decide what they wanted to release. So I think probably no. I think it's probably better if that music isn't released. So the reason I ask this question is because... This question came about like last year when the Little Peep songs were released that kind of sounded like those unfinished bedroom demos. Yeah. And then Mac Miller's Circles came out, which we thought was tasteful because his family had consent. The producer who worked on the album with finished the album with the vision he had. And we want to try to bring up the concept of artist wills or negotiating this into a contract since we know that every artist has a different opinion on what should happen and it would make it personal to each artist to have actually have a say in what happens. Yeah, I think that's a really good, really good point. I think, um, like you said, that Max Miller record, if it was sort of like a, the producer carrying on what they were already working on, um, that is in good taste because that's just someone sort of like honoring the work which didn't quite get finished. Um, so I think in, in that case, 
um, it's a good thing. But I think sometimes if you're just digging around for some songs that didn't come out so you can make a profit on an album from someone who's passed away, I think that's that's where the lines get blurred a little bit. Um, so yeah, I think it all depends on, on how it's done and how much respect goes into the treatment of it. Yeah, I 100% agree. It's I know it's so complicated and there's so many different moving parts to it. Because I, I know like as a fan, you always want to hear more music, but at the end of the day, yeah. with the artists have actually been happy. Yeah, um, and like from like a personal um, standpoint, like one of my favorite bands is the Beastie Boys. Like they've been one of my favorite bands since I can remember. Um, and when MCA passed away, they didn't carry on doing shows and they didn't put out new music. They started to release some B-sides on like anniversary albums, but there's so much material that they said they would never put out because they know that he wouldn't want to put it out. And I think that's the best way to, to treat it. Mm -hmm. I agree. So mm -hmm. if you can change one thing about the music industry as it is today, what would it be and why? That's a great question. Um, I think I'm not sure if I would change anything because I think the way the music industry is set up now, the artists have more control than ever. Like you don't really need a record label. You don't really need um, a lot of things that bands relied on in the past. Um, I think obviously artists need as much ownership over their own stuff as possible. Um, so that is something that I think um, should 100% be in like the artist or the band's favour. Um, but in this day and age, there's no reason not to have the majority control because you can just make a an album in your bedroom and, and put it online yourself and do the artwork yourself. And I, I think it, the way music is changing is, is very fast, like it's changing quickly, but I think it's kind of changing in the artist's favour. You can just give it straight to someone, like straight from from your house and your laptop, straight into someone's bedroom and into their ears. And I think, I think that's quite a powerful thing. I really appreciate that answer. That's actually something I haven't heard before. So thank you. That's okay. That's fine. <laughs> um, a lot of people know I'm very vocal about what I would change about the industry. Okay. Um, <laughs> One of those things in specific is in relation to streaming services, particularly Spotify. Um, yeah. I don't like the fact that consumers can see bands' monthly listener accounts. I think that should be for the artist and management. I don't think a, a listener should be able to view that. Okay, yeah, so like, so the sort of competition aspect of it. Um, yeah, that is something that I think um, if you did read into might might be something that people would, would, would struggle with. I, I see I see what you're saying. It might be like a fairer playing field if everyone's was, was hidden. Um, I guess you probably could look at a band and think, oh, they've only had 50 listeners this month. What should I bother listening to it? Um, so I can see the negative in that. Um, but then I guess... At the same time, like if you're making music for yourself uh, and, and you know that that's the reason behind it and that you're making music that you enjoy and you love, then I'd like to think that um, that's something that you could look past as an artist. But I, I do understand what you're saying. It's, I guess that does maybe put smaller bands on the back foot a little bit. 
I know here, unfortunately, it does play a factor into the creation of lineups for shows and bills for tours, and sometimes there's an equally as great artist yeah. who might have a lower monthly listener count who should also be on this this lineup yeah. compared to somebody who has, let's say, 50,000 listeners, but they do the uh -huh. same thing. It's very interesting to me to see how it like plays out in that sense. Yeah, I think that's that, that's, that's that's a good point. It is a good point. It's, it's not fair for someone to sort of miss out on an opportunity because of how many people have heard them up until that point because you need those opportunities like those shows or those lineups to like get your monthly listeners up. So it's kind of a like a vicious circle. Like if you can't get shows because your listeners are low, but then you can't get your listeners up because you can't get shows, you're kind of stuck. Yeah, I just view it as very unfortunate. And I know some of my friends, I'm going to throw them under the bus, but <laughs> they sometimes only listen to artists because of the monthly listener count and yeah. won't give other artists a chance. And it's very upsetting because you should be listening to the music for the music, not because the artist is super popular. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You should just be listening to the songs. And what I do sometimes is I go through an artist's profile and their discography and I will play the most popular songs, but I'll also go through and see maybe a song that doesn't have as many listens because I feel like sometimes those songs are a better representation of an artist than the one that's the most popular. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I'm from the generation of buying an album and listening to the whole thing, which is something that is sort of like fading away now. Um, but not even that long ago, um, just like CDs, basically, when CDs were the thing, um, you would buy it and you wouldn't just listen to the singles. You would listen to the whole thing from start to finish. Um, so, yeah, I'm a fan of listening listening through a whole record. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I know, like, recently I've been doing that a lot more because I now have the, I now have the time to actually go through yeah. and listen to an album in full. Well, in the past, I might not have had that chance but yeah it's a better experience at least in my opinion since you're going on this journey with the artist through however many tracks are on the ep or yeah. the lp and it it's something that's so special that a lot of people are missing out on because they're only listening to singles absolutely and and those albums the artist will have carefully picked the order of those songs and that's kind of the way it's intended to be listened to so, yeah, there's like a real magic to listening to a whole album compared to, you know, just the highlights almost, you know, like just the, the big singles. Sometimes I also feel like those singles that are released aren't the best representation of an album. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they might not even be the best songs on the record. They might just be the like the catchiest or the, the most radio friendly songs or, um, yeah, you might not even be getting the best stuff. Yeah, and like you, like there, there could have been lots of different people involved with picking those singles. Sometimes it's not even the band's decision 100%. You can get the label or the management might say, this should be the single. So yeah, I agree with you on that. I think sometimes if you, you benefit from listening to the whole record. So, speaking of records, we're going to segue into talking about your latest song, which was The Falling Dream. I okay. Phenomenal, phenomenal song. Um, Thank you very much. <laughs> Can you please describe the how the song came to be? Um, it actually was quite a quick um, process. 
effects with that song, um, which which I think you can kind of hear, like in how sort of like direct and catchy it is. Like it opens on the chorus lyric and it's very to the point. It's very much like a pop song. Um, we, I think we only rehearsed it or like wrote it together for maybe four or six hours, like two or three like band practices. And then we took it straight in the studio. We kind of instantly knew that, um, that it was a good one. Um, so we got we got straight in and, and recorded it. So yeah, it was a, it was a, a very quick process that song for us. I sometimes feel like some of the best songs are written in the spur of the moment in like the shortest amount of time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like it, it, if you have to struggle and like battle with a song to figure out how it works, sometimes that's a sign that it's not working. Um, I think the best songs do sort of as cliche as it sounds, kind of write themselves, like all the parts just make sense and something clicks. Um, so yeah, that song is definitely an example of that. It was so nice to hear all the different parts in the, the track. I, I had to listen to it a couple of times to kind of like focus on each separate yeah. part and then listen to it as a whole because there was a lot going on in a sense, but it was just, it just made sense. I don't know. It was just a very like, everything came together so well yeah thank you was there a specific meaning behind the bowling dream um yeah like lyrically um obviously like it is it speaks of having like a reoccurring dream of falling which is something that a lot of people all over the world experience it's like a common dream or nightmare to have um but sort of like if you delve a, a bit deeper into the words, it's it's kind of just about like finding yourself, um, like feeling lost and sort of like finding the direction in life. Um, so that's the kind of angle I was writing the song at was you know feeling lost and figuring figuring out your way. The lyrics are very clever. Thank you very much. So I'm also wondering, um, what would you say is the next step for the nightmares um well we've got um another song which will be be coming out um probably in the next couple of months which is gonna um i don't know if i'm allowed to say this but i'll just tell you this anyway but it's going to be the the b-side um to the fallen dream and we're actually planning on doing a physical release of that single with these two songs on it um so that's like next up for us that's the next thing that we're doing and then obviously um as i was telling you earlier we've been um working on an album so um we've really been getting our heads down into that and i don't know when that'll happen but i think that'll be the the next big thing for us will be our debut album which is something we've been working towards now um the whole time we've been a band so um very exciting time for us and we're we're really excited for, for people to hear um, what we would do with our debut album and, and all of those influences, how we would put them together. So, yeah, just more music. Um, and we're excited for whenever it happens to start playing shows again. I'm sure the same as every band in the world. Right now we're itching to play live. We don't know in the UK when that will be. Um, there's no sign of it happening yet. But hopefully it won't be too long until we can start touring again. What is your favorite venue that you've performed in? 
that's a good question. Um, we've been lucky in this band to, we've only done a few tours because we're like a, a relatively new band. Um, but we got to play in Islington Academy in London um, with Tiger Army, which was our biggest show um, so far. Uh, and yeah, an amazing venue. So pro- probably Islington Academy in this band. Okay, I'm going to ask you to explain what it looks like for me because I haven't been there. Yeah, no, but, um, I, I'll try and do that. It's, it's like it's like a big sort of like um, almost like hall-shaped room. It's like a long rectangular room. It's like a thousand people, I think. So it's quite big. Um, and there's like a balcony um, up top. Uh, and it's like we have um, academy venues in this country, um, which are all kind of look the same all around the country. So you could go to an O2 Academy in Manchester or you could go to one in London and they look the same. They kind of look like clean, like hall venues, almost like university venues. So like a university hall. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, all, it's, it's a really cool place. We've played in, in rooms where you could fit maybe 40 people in the room and the, the stage is like a foot high. Um, which is maybe why that show felt so special, playing in to a thousand people. Um, you know, I think it was only our maybe like 20th show or something like that, but we haven't played that many shows as, as a band. Um, so it, it just felt felt amazing, like to, to be able to play to that many people. It was, it was brilliant. What is touring like where you are? Um, we tour in quite like a like quite like a unique way, whereas we tour just the four of us. Um, we don't take anyone with us, uh, and uh, we, we could have done it a different way, um, but we we hire um, like, a, like a big car, um, which can fit our gear and the four of us, and we almost tour like kind of like a family holiday. <laughs> it's quite a strange way, quite a strange way to do it, but we kind of just like just being the four of us. Um, keeps us like tight knit and, and close together um, um it's just a lot of fun so yeah we 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 drive ourselves we do our own merch um we you know set up our own gear we pack down our own gear um we're very much like a diy band i love diy artists i feel like it's it's a way to make sure everything goes the way you want it to go that's true yeah you've only got yourself to blame if something goes wrong on tour for us because it's only us <laughs> Um, speaking of like touring and everything, when you're in the van, mm. what are three songs that must be in the playlist? Oh, that's a great question. Um, probably depends who's in charge. Um, we quite like listening to podcasts. Um, it's something that we found was quite fun um, when we were driving. Three songs. Um, if it was me in charge uh of the orcs lead if it was me in control i would probably go uh perfect girl by the cure i would probably pick get it together by the beastie boys um and then great question um i would probably pick Uh, Mercy Me by Alcantara. 
yeah, they would be my free choices. <laughs> you mentioned podcasts. Um, I personally don't listen to them. Do you have any recommendations? Um, yeah. Uh, one that I find uh, really funny is Kill Tony. I listen to that podcast a lot, which is um, the, the comedian Tony Hinchcliffe. Um, he does like a live comedy podcast. Um, I think they do it um, in a comedy club in LA. I forget the name of it now. Um, but it's basically like a, a live show where comedians get up and do 60 seconds of like open mic comedy. And then there's a panel of comedians that either praise them or make fun of them um, after their set on stage. So they have a conversation with them about the, their set, like and how badly it went. Um, and that's a really funny podcast, like anyone who likes comedy podcasts. Uh, my wife uh, listens to My Favorite Murder a lot. don't know if you've heard of that podcast, um, which is like going over like old murder cases and like unsolved murder cases. That one's quite interesting. Yeah, they would be my two picks, I think. I feel like these murder mystery type uh, podcasts have kind of taken over in a sense. Like, yeah. all my friends keep talking about them, but I haven't really listened to one yet. But I will look into those, so thank you. Yeah, I think that my favorite murder one is, is the big one. I think that's the one that a lot of people listen to. Okay, I have two more questions. Um, when you're on tour... Do you guys have any pre-show rituals or superstitions? Uh, I think we we normally all have a beer together. Um, it's pretty simple, really. We'll have a beer. We'll sort of... We always sort of get dressed before shows. Like, we definitely have, like, a look. So that is, like, sort of part of our ritual. It's sort of, like, getting ready together to, to go on stage. Um we don't have any sort of like huddle or any kind of like team talk before we, we play a show. We kind of just go on and do it. But um, we do always have a moment together where we normally have like intro music. So we'll normally have some kind of like walkout music. So we always have like a moment on the side of the stage where we're together and we're ready to go. The intro music comes on, the lights go down. And that it's not really a ritual, but that is kind of the moment where we all sort of switch on and everyone is is ready to go um so yeah just a, a beer and and just get changed <laughs> simple as that really i like how you said like you guys have this like walkout music and you all prepare beforehand and then you just go on the stage and like this is it like this is what's happening and i think that's so cool that i would consider that a ritual yeah, maybe that is our ritual, is that sort of like one minute before we go on when the music comes on and we all kind of go quiet and we sort of like nod at each other and we're like, okay, yeah, we're ready to go. That probably is the closest thing to like a, a ritual. Uh, what are your goals for 2020? You can do the year or the decade because the year's kind of been canceled. Yes, yeah, that's a good point. This year's kind of gone out the window. <laughs> um, but I would say our main goal is is this album that we've been writing um i think we want to sort of get in and, and hopefully do that next year like the beginning of next year if we can um and then once once that's done we just want to get out and tour we just want to get out and play these songs to people um and i think um once that album's done i hopefully that'll give us the the leverage to just go and play as many shows as possible
Well, I'm looking forward to whenever you guys release the album. I, I can't wait to hear it. Thank you so much. And I greatly appreciate you taking the time out of your day to speak to me. No problem. Thank you for having me. Bye. Cheers now. Bye-bye.